Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm honored to be joined by Carmen Lau, the chair of the Adventist Forum board and the visionary behind one of the main topics we'll be discussing, the upcoming civil rights journey happening down in Alabama. Thanks for joining me today, Carmen. You are so welcome, Alexander, and I want to thank you for the continual work you do on this podcast. I really enjoy the guests that you invite, and um, so I appreciate you carving that into your schedule and giving us some great content. Absolutely. Well, you and I both love Spectrum, and and we really appreciate our uh, wide community out there. So it's uh, a labor of love, as they say. (laughs) So speaking of labors of love, I know that you um, really are, you, I appreciate, let me say it that way, the way that you've um, put forward this um, kind of experience for folks. Traditionally, we have conferences, they tend to be styled after uh, academic meetings, but um, we have something really exciting coming up in less than a month there in Birmingham. I'll be there. We've got um, some really interesting folks coming. And do you mind just telling folks what what's going to happen? Ah, oh, thank you. Yes. Well, you know, I've lived in Birmingham for about 30 years. And um, just in the last few years, Alabama has become sort of a destination for where people can grow and get some self-awareness about racism and injustice in this country. And so I had hoped to have a board meeting here, the board of Adventist Forum. And then some of the board members said, hey, we should ask some in our Adventist Forum community to join us and to see some of the work of Brian Stevenson and consider um, the issue of race and how that would affect peace and um, our love for our fellow man. So um, we had to postpone it a few times, but we settled on this date in October. And um, initially we had a large response. I thought we might have 60, 70 people, but then COVID came on the um, horizon and people are not quite um, understandably, they're not so um, willing to travel now. Sure. And um, so we're in a, the stage of a smaller group. Um, we want to be safe and we'll stay masked and stay far apart. But um, we still want to consider um, some of the markers here in Alabama and what's happened here um, with the work of justice. Yes. Um, so we have a um, interesting Adventist Forum Spectrum connection to Birmingham because Roy Branson, um, one of the founders of Spectrum, longtime editor and sort of legendary leader for social justice in the church, when he was at Harvard, he went down there. Do you mind talking a little bit about that history? Oh, sure. 
Um, well, one of the places that we will visit as a group in a few weeks will be Selma. And uh, Roy Branson was uh, part of a group of theology students who came to Selma in March of 1965. They had noticed a couple of um, peaceful protests involving um, groups of people walking across the Pettus Bridge, across the Alabama River. And um, the first protest uh, became known as Bloody Sunday because law enforcement people um, ended up beating some of the protesters unconscious. Yeah. And so just a couple days later, uh, the same people kind of reconfigured and walked across the bridge again. Now, Selma had the worst voting rights in really the area. In fact, Dallas County, more than half the citizens were black, but only 300 had been allowed to register to vote. And they had tried to address this on a local level and couldn't get anywhere. So it was starting to gain national attention. And um, so the second march across the way uh, ended up with violence. And that night, a group of white men beat and murdered civil rights activist James Reeb. Now, NPR's White Lies featured that story in a serial podcast recently. But I guess it was the murder of Reeb that really got the attention of the theology students in Boston. And so Roy was one of the people who got on the bus and came down to Selma. And um, this was written up 25 years later in um, a newspaper by a man by the name of Woolley in Dallas, Dallas, Texas, and, and described um, being in Selma with Roy. And um, the buses went back north two days later, but he and Roy and someone else decided to stay because they felt like this was a historical moment. And um, so it's it's really an interesting story. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to include, uh, thanks to you sending over the link, uh, the article in the write-up. So if folks want to read about this, this was published in 1990 in the Dallas Morning News. And uh, Roy Branson is right there. And it's really inspiring. You know, I heard him um, describe, I was uh, just out of uh, college before I went to grad school. And I was, you know, just kind of hanging around him. And he described, he defined folks who care about Spectrum, folks who are members of Adventist Forum as this way. He said when he remembers um, coming out of church with folks who talked about care for their neighbors and the difference between those folks there in the church and Adventist Forum members was that the Adventist Forum group crossed the street because there were protesters and they joined the protesters that Sabbath afternoon. And I always liked that because they were taking their faith, their words and putting them into action in a, in a really um, uh, public way. Yeah. And it's interesting because, um, you know, I'm a Southerner and I, you know, was aware when these things were happening, um, but yet I really wasn't aware. So, you know, to be a Seventh-day Adventist rooted in Southern culture, you kind of miss what's happening. 
And so um, it's very inspiring to realize that there were um, other people of our tribe that, that realized the importance of the moment. And it's kind of humbling and um, makes me want to continually wake up and wonder, what am I missing that I should be concerned about? Um, because, I don't know, you didn't grow up in the South, did you? <laughs> You're just kind of numb to what goes on. And in fact, um, when I was a child, I felt like um, you were not a racist if you didn't use the N-word. That's all there was to it. And so, like, in my family, we didn't say that word. And so I knew we weren't racist. And so we had achieved <laughs> our mission in society for <laughs> racial reconciliation. I mean, that's wow. how we felt because most everyone around us said the N-word. Well, we didn't. And, um, and it just kind of been an unfolding of awareness to realize, um, you know, the injustices and the things that um, were immoral happening around us that we chose not to look at. And I think basically we took the cloak of um, not being political and that was our way of avoiding some of the hard situations. But yes, so we will. Yes. We'll Uh, cross the Selma bridge and we'll think about Roy Branson. Yeah. And you know, all the other um, incredibly brave consciousness raising uh, pioneers um, who who did that? I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, I want. I was kind of curious if you don't mind me asking, how did you move from that sort of traditional, classic white Southern uh, approach to being polite, being a member of polite society, and move into really caring about these issues? Um, and, and, and thinking about how to put your faith into action beyond just being, uh, a nice person. Well, it's a gradual waking up. And I think about the many times Jesus, um, talks about people being blind and he helps them see. And I think some people lose their blindness suddenly and some people, um, start to see, in a more gradual fashion. And for me, it was more gradually, but um, there's several things along the way. I remember um, when I was at Academy reading Insight Magazine, and one of the articles described a visit to a church at Savannah, Georgia. Well, that's where I grew up. And so it described some of the things said at a potluck that were very racist. And I remember thinking, you know, I know all the deaconesses, they're friends of my mom, and I can't imagine what they said, but it just made me, again, realize how I perhaps did not see the situation in its full measure of truth. And so just all my life, I just started noticing um, um, just the blindness of society and how a person's culture can numb them and how a person's story can make it so that we just kind of bend our narrative to fit what's deeply inside of us. I think for a lot of Southerners, it would be a fear-based narrative. And so rather than looking at the reality of what's happening, they would tell themselves a story, or we would tell ourselves a story, or I would tell myself a story that certain things were dangerous or people were dangerous. And so I wouldn't even see the reality. 
And I guess it really came to a head when I attended a conference at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. This was a day-long event on bystanders, Christianity, and the Jim Crow South. And it pulled together all of my uneasiness. And um, there became a question pulsating like a blinking neon sign, like, how could Christians have been so blind to what was happening? And um, it has become kind of a personal quest for me to realize how, you know, I continue to be blind to certain things and to always seek to see things clearly. And I always notice, again, the scriptural references to um, the blindness of people and groups to things that seem so obvious. So it's kind of humbling in a way. Well, I appreciate your humility there in, in speaking so openly about the, the kind of um, change that happened over time. Um, I think lots of folks uh, who grow up in the church uh, are kind of comfortable until they sometimes look outside the church and realize that things are um, um, different than this than were taught um, by a variety of folks um, and I think part of the the that process is um, being willing to listen to outside teachers um, I think so often we're so comfortable um, just hearing the folks in our own circles uh, have conversations and I'm kind of thinking about your recent, article or op-ed in the journal that just came out um, titled The Larger Prayer, because I love that you are, you know, participating in a Zoom class with the Adventist Christian Fellowship. Do you mind talking about um, some of the thoughts that came out of that uh, participation in a very different um, kind of way of, of community? Well, it's been a blessing to participate with the Adventist Christian Fellowship. Um, originally, they met down at UAB, and my husband was a sponsor because he's a professor at UAB, and they needed a faculty member to sponsor them. And we went a few times when they met in person, but when COVID came and they started meeting on Zoom, it became a part of our weekly um sustenance and nourishment. And um, they simply were reading through the Gospel of John. And um, I think the one I referenced in that op-ed had to do with um, the ordinance of humility, right? Yes. And, um, you know, the fact that our denomination does foot washing. Very, very um, unique. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so what does that mean? And, um, and, and I guess we were saying in our group discussing with the young people at the Adventist Christian Fellowship was it was more of an integrated discipleship, um, not just claiming, you know, the blood and, um, you know, the, the atonement of Jesus and setting us right with God, but that we actually participate in something and the foot washing is symbolic of that, that helps us move toward, you know, a horizontal love, not just that vertical love um, between God and man, but the ordinance of humility 
brings us to a horizontal love that's practical. And I think um, noticing uh, racism and structural injustice would also be a part of that service of discipleship um, that we can think about when we um, do the ordinance of humility. I absolutely agree. I am a proponent of the weirdness of washing <laughs> feet. I um, I have to say, I think it helped me understand. Probably, like it helped fan the flames of empathy for me. I have. I can think of several times where I, from you know, from family to uh, a professor in at Andrews Academy or at Andrews University who um, I had, you know, I was a jerk to, or we had some kind of issue and participating in that as weird as it is, as, as uncomfortable, it, it, it provided an environment and there's other ways to provide these sort of environments. But, you know, in the Adventist world, it worked for me where I was like, you know what, this is a time for me to say, I'm sorry. And I think it, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, it takes work, um, to, to open up some folks' hearts. And I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful ritual, uh, actually as, as sort of strange, um, as it is. So I, I, I love that you <laughs> yeah. brought it up. Well, and you know, we've had a few conversations in different Bible studies I've been in, like, is it still relevant? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely not so quarantine much. safe. <laughs> yeah. And someone came up with the idea that actually what might be more relevant now would be, um, washing each other's cell phones. Oh, and, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those get pretty dirty. Yeah. And um, and I thought to myself, you know, my husband washes my cell phone, so he's already ahead of the curve on that. <laughs> <laughs> what a great human. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, I like what you wrote in here, if you don't mind me reading uh, your own words back to you. But um, in relation to the biblical story, my ACF, Adventist Christian Fellowship Friends, brought up the notion that, strangely enough, vulnerability gives a sort of power. They cited researcher Brene Brown, particularly her book, Daring Greatly, as evidence. My friends also sought to position themselves in a humble open space with an acknowledgement that God's mysterious ways might bring forth an unmitigated outcome. And I like that idea there. So um, thanks for writing those words and and participating in various forms of, of community and helping us kind of understand the ways that grace can transform us. Do you mind um, talking a little bit about um, the way that you've connected? Because, you know, you did work in Rwanda thinking about violence and peace, and here you are um, leading a small band of uh, Spectrum community folks to think about, well, violence and peacemaking in in terms of this kind of different kind of tribalism that we have in America versus say Rwanda, but there are parallels. And I'm curious how your academic research connects for you to what you're doing here. Well, first off, just right at the very top of that um, question, I'll have to say that for me, I am seeing more and more value and power in the fact that God 
is teaching me um, through black people, me as a Southern girl. And I learned from people in Rwanda. Um, and I feel like recently I am really learning from um, black voices here in the United States. Um, the African-American community has um, added a lot to theology with James Cone, Reggie Jackson, Drew Hart, and they've enriched our theology so that it's not just this thin theology um, of, you know, how heaven and earth work and how one gets from point A to point B, and they've really fleshed it out with their stories. Um, and so just right off the bat, I find a lot of power, and I'm just like, wouldn't that be God's way to use a group of people who had been under the heel of a dominant social class. And here we are hearing the voices and the teachings in such a powerful way, telling us what we need to hear, not just for their own um, liberation and for fairness, when you look at it from the point of view of our African-American brothers and sisters, but I think they're telling us what we need to hear as white people, because I feel like we've had a thin theology that has not taken us to the level of kingdom on earth that God wants us to be. <laughs> so that's just right off my quick um, yeah. thing that I've really been thinking a lot about. But um, and another strand in all of this is the fear of being political that hampers our ability to be peace agents. And I think I heard that in the stories I heard from Rwanda. And I know that from my childhood in the South. And I feel concerned about that with some of the loud stories I hear now. Uh, fear of being political may be hampering us from being the change agents, from lamenting the appropriate lament of the moment. And so um, those are some of the things I'm thinking about. And I'm very driven by the idea of, you know, myself waking up and seeing things. And if I can be with people as they wake up and see things, I've been down to Montgomery three times since um, Brian Stevenson's museums opened Um with different people who, who I wanted to take. I still haven't taken my family. And so they're coming with us in oh, a great. few weeks. But I've been with, um, you know, some international friends, some, you know, an elderly friend that couldn't go herself. And I also went with an African-American friend. She and I went to Montgomery and Selma. She had never been to either one either. And so we did those journeys together kind of quietly, um, so, um, I, you know, that drives me. I, I, I would love to be a part of something that can be a catalyst and to help people um, wake up, see the reality, and um, shed their fear and be willing to imagine something different. And so that's what kind of drives me and connects um, what I want to do in the last um in these last few years as I've um, gone back to school and then become more involved with Adventist Forum. Well, I love you mentioning 
imagining something different because I think that I, I've read Roy Branson talking about uh, the apocalyptic imagination and what a catalyst for change that is. We see that in Revelation. We see that in the prophets. And I think that it is core to Adventist identity. It drove us to be so different in a, in a variety of ways. And I feel like it's part of the DNA of what makes Adventist Forum such a, a potent community. So I appreciate you bringing up uh, the power of imagination. Um, it connects to the arts, of course, as well. Um, as we finish up here, do you mind just running through some of the fun things that I'm, I mean, I'm kind of being <laughs> personal here, but I'm kind of excited about what I'm going to experience there. And do you mind just talking about some of the, so I can get my imagination running as we think <laughs> about what could be happening. And for the folks listening who maybe can't attend, um, we will be writing about this and even including some uh, visual uh, elements as well. So it'll be something that I hopefully other folks can maybe catch imaginatively. Yeah. Yes, I'd love to tell you about it. We will be based in Birmingham. That's where I live. Now, Birmingham is called the Magic City because it grew so quickly after the Civil War. And um, great wealth disparity um, sprung up here in Birmingham with the steel and iron industry. And a lot of that was on the backs of our African-American um, brothers and sisters who were hired without fair wages and basically kind of kept in enslavement after they were released from slavery. But we'll be staying in Birmingham. And uh, Sabbath morning, we will travel by bus um, from Birmingham to Montgomery, then Selma and back. Now, riding the bus is important to our journey. It's evocative of the civil rights struggle you could think about memories of the Montgomery bus boycott, which was a year-long political and social protest, mainly led by women, with most famous, of course, being Rosa Parks. And then also, um, buses make us think of the Freedom Riders, which were based in Nashville, and that was a group that had been schooled in nonviolence based on the work of Gandhi, and John Lewis was a part of that. Yeah. On the bus, we won't be full to capacity and we will be requiring masks. But on the bus, as we travel, um, we will spend some time listening to three professors who will be with us. Um, Dr. Ramona Hyman, who is an English professor from Oakwood, will be with us. And she did a dissertation on the Montgomery bus boycott. Also, we'll hear from Dr. Lisa Diller, a history professor from Southern Adventist University. And in addition, we'll hear from Dr. Gilbert Oshwang, who is from Oakwood University and is religion department chair. We also will hear some suggestions from Adventist Peace Fellowship about ways to try to apply what we see and experience. And Marcy Correa, who is an officer with that group will be with us. And Dr. Diller also is um, an officer at Adventist Peace Fellowship. 
So, um, you know, the first stop will be Montgomery, and that's where um, Brian Stevenson's Equal Justice Initiative is based. And that has really um, set a marker in Alabama as a destination. And every time I've been down to Montgomery, I noticed that there are many Europeans at these exhibits. But interestingly enough, um, we still don't have a proper marker on the highway, which kind of shows the Alabama ethos. (laughs) We don't have a brown, you know, attraction marker. So I've gotten confused a few times when I've driven down there. Um, But once you get to the museums that he's created, um, you can see that this is something that is very well done and um, very respectful and very forward thinking and helping people imagine what can be done differently to um, restore justice in um, the United States. So we'll be seeing his museums in Montgomery and um, driving by Dexter Baptist Church, which was Dr. King's um, church in, in Montgomery. Yeah. And then we'll drive over to Selma. We'll take Highway 80, and that is um, the reverse route. The marches were from Selma to Montgomery, but we'll go the reverse route. And in Selma, we'll walk across the bridge um, and then drive back to Birmingham and end the day going up Vulcan, which is the largest iron statue in the world, and it's kind of a um, vulgar marker of um, Birmingham's, you know, market wealth and, um, you know, industrialization that occurred. Um, And so then Sunday morning, we'll be walking in downtown Birmingham along the pathway of where some of the um, marches occurred. Um, We'll walk by 16th Street Baptist Church. I don't expect that they will be um, meeting. They haven't met for several months because of COVID. But um, we'll also swing by uh, Lynn Park, where some of the Confederate monuments have come down in recent months. Great. And we'll swing by Railroad Park, which has become kind of a marker of um, urban community and um, see some of the street art that's been painted recently when we were having some of the protests after George Floyd's murder. So um, the event October is different than how I originally pictured it would be because of COVID. We've had to alter things, but we do feel like in this moment of um, racial awakening that we wanted to go ahead and do this even on a smaller scale. And so, you know, mainly we will be outside together. And so that'll be easier to make it safe to be together um, outdoors. Well, I um, am speaking personally here, but I'm really excited about this experience. And I really appreciate that you've uh, put this together and persevered um, because I think it's important, especially for Adventists, to um, understand this history and um, and apply it to their faith. Um, I think too often... As Paul Tillich, uh, the great 
theologian pointed out, we, we weirdly separate the sacred from the secular and we associate the political with the secular. And so our faith never <laughs> really gets applied in a substantive way. And I'm looking forward to learning more about this. And I really appreciate the folks that you've brought in to help um, educate us. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for um, doing this podcast. And I look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. All right. Yeah. And um, for folks who are interested in this, we will be uh, communicating some of our experiences um, uh, visually, in written form, in audio form. So stay tuned and we'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to Spectrum um, if you're uh, interested in this uh, journey. Thanks so much, Carmen. Uh, appreciate all that you do. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget.